Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Ryan, Masters Week is over. It was it was an exciting finish, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Scotty Scheffler, man, just put on a show, put on a clinic for everyone. He really did. It was pretty amazing how he just uh, just stayed in the lead, never gave up, and he never really retreated at all. Didn't give anybody a chance. Um, although Roy uh, McElroy really really had a, a great uh, you know run there in the last day. Yeah, you know he's wishing he had one more day in that tournament. Exactly. I think he could have put a little pressure on him, but uh, but yeah, I mean to Scotty Scheffler's. Uh, uh, to his credit, I mean, gee whiz, I mean, he just kind of led the whole way. He, he just really never really backed up. He did. 25 years old. Real young. Got a long way to go. Very impressive young man. So, uh, yeah, great Masters. Great weather other than that one kind of cold day we had. A lot of rain in our practice days. Um, but still, just uh, a great tournament. It was just fun seeing fans, full fans, and seeing Augusta back to Masters week. It was really cool to to see that. Absolutely. Speaking of fun, you know, we have some fun topics here. We're going to talk about retirement. Um, That's a fun topic for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, We have the keys to a happy retirement that we're going to talk about here. Okay. And then the second article is, is it time to sell stocks? So we've seen a lot of headlines out there and we're going to address that. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, a lot of people are questioning whether or not they should be in the market right now. And uh, so we're going to talk about kind of what were your options there? You know, are the things that you can you should be trying to do, um, or or should you should you hold on to a diversified portfolio? Yeah, yeah a lot of a lot of good uh, information there in a recent study. Um, by the way, my name is Steve Marvin. I'm a certified financial planner, and I'm a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 27 years' experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm Ryan Borders. I'm also a certified financial planner, and I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. And we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast are up every Friday afternoon. And uh, you can go to our website there and you can listen to us right off the website or you can find us on iTunes um, anywhere in the world. And um, also do check out our website. We have a lot of information there, a lot of resources. There's a financial planning tool there where you can get a great snapshot of where you are in retirement and um, just, just a lot of resources there and all of our old shows as well. And you can also link to us. And we'd love to hear from you. You can link to us right there on the website, and you can ask us a question, and we'll talk about those right here on the show. Well, Ryan, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is a really interesting, more recent one. But according to the Labor Department, the number of people over the age of 55 are kind of actually increasing when it comes to looking for work. So about 39% in March were looking for work. Um, compared to about 38% in October. So nearly half a million people in that age bracket, 55 plus, um, have entered the labor force in the last six months. So it's a little shift in the trends from the last two years. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess with a great job market, you know, and a lot of people retired um, during COVID and um, you're getting the feeling that some of those are coming back. You know, half a million have come back into the workforce in some capacity and, um, yeah, maybe inflation is sure. a factor in that. Um, I don't know. Maybe they just wanted kind of a, a temporary retirement and now they're moving back maybe part-time. I don't know, but it's an interesting trend. And maybe people entered retirement and realized maybe this is not for me. I'm not very happy doing that. Exactly. And that brings us up to our first topic because, um, it's about the keys to a happy retirement. Perfect. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's it, it obviously, 
you know, if you're going to retire, you want to be happy. And there's some ways to set yourself up for that, so to speak. Um, this is a great article out of Bottom Line, um, Wes Moss, very, recent, very recently. Um, but Ryan, you know, conventional wisdom says that that planning a successful retirement is all about financial security. It's about having enough money, right? Um, so your focus is on saving. It's on growing your nest egg, creating a financial plan um, so that you'll never have to worry about running out of money in old age. <clears throat> and that's a great thing to do, no doubt about it. However, um, this planner and a researcher, Wes Moss, he kind of noticed a paradox in his career that many wealthy retirees did not seem significantly happier than retirees that just had a few hundred thousand dollars. So his conclusion was that, you know, big retirement accounts may let you sleep well at night, but they may not necessarily give you enough reason to get up in the morning and have some real purpose in retirement. So that made him want to study what really made people happy in retirement. Um, so he wanted to see if he could reverse engineer that, you know, what makes for a great retirement. So he launched a, a multiple studies, actually, on more than 200 or where 2,000 older folks to find out what happy retirees were doing right. And so among his surprising findings, he discovered that having more money in retirement makes you happier up to a point, but then it plateaus. And having hobbies to fill up your time isn't enough either. You need activities that you're passionate about. Um, so you want to live close to your, to your kids, but maybe not too close. Um, you know, and having a, a busy social life isn't as important as having a few meaningful relationships. Um, the desire for a realistic vision in retirement has has been stoked by the pandemic, you know, and a lot of people have kind of jumped into retirement. But many people working remotely kind of got a trial run at what staying at home every day looks like and feels like. Um, so anyway, he dug into the data to highlight how <clears throat> to use it to plan a richer fuller life once your working days are over. So in his retirement happiness study, um, participants, they answered dozens of questions about their lives and they rated their overall satisfaction on the scale of kind of one to five, um, five being the best. And he divided his respondents into two groups, happy retirements and unhappy, happy retirees and unhappy retirees. Mm. And they looked for meaningful patterns in the data on how they live their retirement life. Yeah, and this is a just a really interesting article because we help so many people and so many people spend their lives putting so much effort into getting to retirement, but it looks like maybe a lot of people don't really think about what that actually looks like for them. Uh, so for that first one, uh, social data. So happy retirees had an average of 3.6 core pursuits, unhappy retirees fewer than two. A core pursuit is an activity that brings you an ongoing sense of excitement and fulfillment. The top four core pursuits among participants were travel, activities with kids and grandkids, playing tennis or golf, and by far, number one was volunteering, actually. So that's really interesting. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. And so happy retirees maintain at least three close connections beyond their spouse. Um, the study defined close as people who would conf uh, confide in about good or bad news. So a really close friend, right? Unhappy retirees averaged 2.6 close to on close connections. Also, retirees who took at least one trip a year with a close connection were twice as likely to, you know, to be happy as an average retiree. And the more close connections retirees had, 
the greater their level of satisfaction. So relationships matter. Yeah, so having a couple close relationships really key to being happy. That's interesting. Another interesting fact that he found was that retirees who visited or attended one large social epicenter a week were twice as likely to report being happy as the average retiree. Um, so social epicenters, they include places like places of worship, like a church, um, an exercise or a golf group, um, senior centers, or a charitable or neighborhood group. Um, so that, you know, that turns out, again, it's the social connection turns out to be a really, really key uh, component to being happy. Also, relationship data, um, happy retirees stayed married is what he found. Um, you know, those who were not married were four and a half times more likely to be unhappy than the average retiree. So being single in retirement didn't doom retirees to unhappiness, but, you know, those who were single needed to be very intentional about their support networks and they need to be realistic about making lifestyle changes to match their expected income as well. Um, happy retirees. Here's one for you. <laughs> Gotta like this one, right? Didn't Don't expect to hear this on a money show. Uh, yeah. But yeah, happy retirees had sex at least once a month. That's right. That's right. Month. Okay. Once a month at least. And the ones that had it more often were more happy. Shocker. <laughs> There's a big shocker for <laughs> you. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the personal financial data. Never thought I'd see that doing this. Um, so yeah, the next was personal financial data. So retirees who had to pay off their mortgage um, or who were within five years of paying it off were four times more likely to report being happy. While they while there can be a solid tax and investment advantage to keeping the home mortgage, uh, his study found that older folks who got a sense of security from owning their home debt-free, uh, he uh, was a big sign. So he typically recommend to retiree, cl- retiring clients the one-third rule, paying off the mortgage only if they can use no more than one-third of their non-retirement savings to do it. That seems like a good, like good advice, but either way, you should pay it off as quickly as possible. So use cash flow and double payments if necessary. We tell clients that as well to, hey, try to uh, be completely debt-free going into retirement if you can. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. That's good. Yeah. Happy retirees. They had at least 500000 in net worth. <clears throat> um, this included easily accessible investments such as stocks and bonds, um, but their home and their illiquid possessions um, <clears throat> didn't really count toward that. Um, millionaire retirees did report higher happiness than others overall, but half million dollars was kind of a trigger point for diminishing returns. You know, happiness levels increased dramatically for retirees who had 500000 in retirement savings compared to those who had 100000 for example. <clears throat> but retirees who had a half million in retirement savings reported far less of a happiness boost in having more than those that had less. So that's kind of where it started to plateau, about hmm. a half million dollars. Interesting. Um, Also, happy retirees talked about their personal finances with their partner one to two hours each month. Um, You know, once you spend more time than that, satisfaction satisfaction levels kind of plateaued. So interestingly enough, discussing finances three and a half hours or more 
a month was actually counterproductive and started to decrease in happiness. Oh, interesting. Started <laughs> focusing on a little too much, yeah. you know, three and a half hours. So it's a couple hours a month was enough to really, enough. really, uh, you know, increase happiness. Yeah. And so the next is family data. So retirees whose adult children were financially dependent on them were 1.5 times less likely to be happy as the average retiree. I don't think we need a study to figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, the unhappiness, uh, unhappiest retirees often had adult children still living in their homes, ouch, and also more than 40% of respondents still provide their adult children with some financial support, but happy retirees gave their adult children an average of less than $500 a month. Unhappy ones, more than $700 a month. <laughs> there you go. Goodness gracious. Okay. Uh, retirees who live close to at least half of their ch- adult children were five times more likely uh, to report being happy than the average retiree. So being close to your family, but not supporting them too much. Um, that's more on those children, man. They need to get out of the house and get jobs. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Exactly. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a drag on retirement, no doubt. So, all right. So how do you improve your own own retirement, you know, in terms of happiness? While every, you know, retiree circumstances are different, um, you know, by emulating, though, incorporating some of what you've, what we talked about here um, can certainly reduce kind of the dramatic adjustment you might experience when you retire. So to implement these ideas, you know, one one thing to do is to write up kind of a non-financial plan. Um, the unhappiest retirees kind of had a vague and superficial notions of what retirement would look like, which often led to kind of isolation and boredom. So what's better is to kind of set up social and lifestyle goals for yourself. You know, list the list doesn't have to be comprehensive, but you need to plan enough to create a vision and a structure of how you're going to spend your weeks. Um, that's especially important for, you know, men who retire and, and don't uh, really maintain a good social support system um, of their, their work families. Um, you know, if that's critical to kind of your happiness, then you need to create kind of a social structure outside of, outside of work. Um, and then, um, you know, practice kind of a, 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 a practice retirement, if you will, um, consider taking your extended vacation, you know, without leaving home to kind of experiment with your, your retirement routines and to test out what, retiring feels like and what feels meaningful to you. Um, you know, what do you think you need when you stop working may have to be redefined or rethought. That's a really good idea. I don't think a lot of people think to do that. Um, I think the pandemic allowed some people to have a little bit of that being home more. Um, so that's why we saw a lot of people retire. The other thing is don't count on your to-do list and bucket list to keep you occupied. Uh, you know, many people expect to fill up their days with time intensive tasks and activities that they have been putting off for years, ranging from taking vacations to renovating the kitchen to organizing all the photos on their computer. Um, reality, you'll get through those lists pretty quickly, believe it or not, when you're for not working. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and need to find an ongoing ways to stay busy and maintain a sense of purpose. So that list ain't going to do it for you. Maybe the first year, but it's going to fall off. Um, you can only clean out the garage and attic so long, and then it's time to move on and find more meaningful way to spend your time. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, <clears throat> the the honeydew list isn't going to last forever, <laughs> although it feels like it when you're working, oh, yeah. <laughs> right, before you get there. So get on the same page, though, as your spouse. Um, that's the last thing here. I mean, start small, but, 
you know, talk about what your first month of retirement might look like. Um, be sure to address how your financial situation supports and affects your lifestyle in retirement. You know, so, I mean, if the stock market, you know, takes a beating, you know, and your finances are a little tight, what cutbacks would you be prepared to make? I mean, how long would each of you like to stay in your current home? And what alternatives would you consider um, if you did, you know, say move or downsize? Um, so think through those things, discuss those with your spouse, get on the same page. That's going to be one of the keys to a happy retirement as well. But the bottom line is that your finances do help with happiness and retirement, but there is much more to it than that. So plan for it and focus on the whole picture in retirement so that you can truly have a satisfying, meaningful life in your golden years. That's the moral of the story here. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question comes in asking, hey, would you suggest taking out a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, to pay off and consolidate my debt? Um, I've mm. had this question a couple times, and while maybe the math says, yeah, that's a good idea at times, uh, getting right. a lower interest rate, it's, it's a bad idea. Uh, yeah. Right? A couple from, reasons why. Um, from a behavioral science standpoint, definitely a bad idea. Absolutely, yeah. It's not really addressing the problem. It's kind of prolonging the problem. Um, you know, we, we suggest doing a debt snowball here, uh, paying off those debts smallest to largest so you can actually get out of debt and really work towards those goals. Uh, so some, not something we really suggest. Yeah, I mean, if you take your debts and you consolidate them against your house on a HELOC, um, you know, what you're doing is you're basically taking unsecured debt and now you're securing it with your house. Yeah. So, you know, if something happens and you're not able to repay those debts, um, now you're going to lose your house, right? <clears throat> Can't declare bankruptcy, you know, on that and keep your house. So, um, so that that's one part of it, you know, but another part of it is you're not really going through the, the process of fixing the problem that got mm -hmm. you in debt. Um, <clears throat> you know, you're just extending the debt out, putting it against your house, making the payment smaller, making the interest smaller, sure, but since you haven't fixed the problem, the tendency is going to be for you to go back and run those credit cards up again or go back to the credit cards when you get in trouble and you need more money and the car breaks or you have a medical issue or something. So you got to fix the real problem. You got to go through the kind of the hard way, the debt snowball, really get a budget. Um, we really recommend, a, you know, if you're struggling with debt, go to a uh, Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great way to get on the same page with your spouse if you have one and but really understand, you know, what debt is going to going to going to do f against you, you know, going to hurt you long term and, and how it can really um, it can work for you if you get it paid off and you get money working for you and you get on a good budget and you start saving and investing. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so an FPU class, a Financial Peace University class by Dave Ramsey is a great way to uh, to kind of help you re restart that process. It'd be interesting to look at like data from 08 and see how many people got in trouble. People that had Heloxy, I would right. love to actually look that up and maybe present on the show sometime. I bet you it's pretty astounding, I would to assume, that people got into a big hole. I would, yeah. Yeah, HELOCs, I don't think it's a great way at all um, <clears throat> to consolidate debt. So, uh, unfortunately, you need to do it the old-fashioned way and start paying it off. That's right. So, do this debt snowball. 
All right, and that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is, is it time to sell stocks? Is it time right. to sell stocks? So, yeah, this comes from Dimensional Fund Advisors. And so, Steve, you know, after touching record highs um, in early January of this year, U.S. stocks have kind of slumped, and investors have been kind of confronted with worrisome headlines um, in the financial press. And let's take a couple of look at some of the recent headlines we've seen. Um, inflation hits fastest uh, clip since uh, 82. So that's from the Wall Street Journal. Another is... Markets drop as turbulent trading persists. Um, another one that we've seen is Fed set to start increasing rates by mid-March. So these were all in January. You know, as we've seen, uh, some of the stocks that attracted intense uh, interest last year have fallen sharply from previous highs. A lot of those really popular stocks in the news. So, so is rising inflation um, a negative for equity investors? Is kind of our question today. Um, do large losses in a handful of popular stocks signal a downturn ahead for the broader market? Invariably, the question behind the question: um, Should I be doing something different with my portfolio? We've gotten that from some clients and recently uh, in recent conversations. This is just another version of the market of the market timing question dressed. Um, in a different close, basically. Should I sell stocks and wait for a more favorable outlook to buy them back? More precisely, can we find clear trading rules that will tell us when to buy or hold stocks and when to sell, uh, when to admit our mistakes, and so on? Yeah, that's right. You know, um, the, the allure of, um, you know, timing the market, finding the next big winner is certainly very powerful, very seductive. Um, you know, so if only we could do that, if we could time the market, if we could pick the next big winner, our portfolios would do much better, right? Um, so, you know, I mean, so just kind of imagine, and they're, they're, in this article here, they have a fictitious character, Felicity Foresight, you know, and imagine that you're like her. You know, you're gifted with the ability to um, um, to predict the market or to to find the right um, right investments out there, the right stocks. Um, and so you can find the best performers between, you know, the, the market or the best timing between the market and between, say, T-bills or fixed income. Um, and, and you're able to do that for the next 12 months. Um, so in her hypothetical portfolio here, um, she's moving between stocks and fixed income back and forth, back and forth every month. Um, based on her amazing foresight here. And uh, if she was able to do that, or if you were able to do that, and you did that perfectly over the last 50 years, um, and you readjusted every every time, um, you would have done really well, you know? Um, in fact, in following that perfect timing with investing each year, um, he would have turned $1,000 into $1.8 million. So nearly 10 times what you would have produced by a buy and hold strategy of just holding the S&P 500. That's pretty good wow. if, well, if you could do that. That sounds pretty enticing. I mean, come on, For let's sure. give it a shot. Absolutely. But you also want to consider hapless Harry. He was never a fan of uh, you know, trying to predict things, and he's not very good at it. Um, so he winds up losing money over the same 50-year period. Motivated by substantial payoff associated with successful timing, researchers over the years have examined a wide range of strategies based on analysis of earnings, dividends, interest rates, um, and so on. Um, so yeah, basically his luck with that, he was very bad at timing between the two 
um, he really actually lost money over those years. So he actually made his thousand dollars nine forty nine um, because he was wrong so much. Yeah, if you get it wrong every year, it's definitely not going to go in the right direction for you. <laughs> um, yeah, so one colorful example known as the Hindenburg Omen um, had a brief moment of fame in 2010. Uh, this was uh, developed by a blind mathematician, a former physics teacher. Uh, this stock market indicator took its name from a German uh, airship disaster in 1937. The Omen signaled a decline only when multiple measures of 52-week high-low prices are moving averages um, all turned negative. This indicator had correctly foreshadowed uh, two major downturns, 1987 and 2008. Uh, so when it flashed sell in, in August of 2010, you know, the internet chat rooms, Wall Street, they were buzzing. Um, they were buzzing the next day on Friday the 13th with talks of illuminating crash because, hey, they got it right before. It's going to probably happen again. Um, but no crash occurred. You know, the S&P 500 had its highest September return since 1939, that following month. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunate, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, I mean, the money management industry, you know, it's highly competitive, right? I mean, there are, are, are thousands and thousands of people out there trying to do it that are professionals. In fact, there are more stock mutual funds and ETFs available in the U.S. than there are listed stocks to buy wow. on the exchange. Just shows you how many professionals are out there trying to sell their services to, to do some sort of timing, you know. So if somebody could develop a profitable timing strategy, you would expect to see some funds doing it with successful results and doing it consistently. But a recent Morningstar um, report suggests that investors should be very weary of anyone claiming to be able to do that. Um, then the report examines results between two different types of funds, each of them kind of holding a mix of stocks and bonds. Um, so there is a balanced strategy that is minimal change, just kind of a buy and hold diversified strategy between stocks and bonds. That's called the balanced one. And then there's a tactical allocation strategy that shifts results between stocks and bonds um, and, and does the timing thing, you know, like we just talked about. Mm -hmm. And um, so if you look at those two groups, the question is which one does better? Yeah, and as a group, funds that sought to enhance results by opportunity to shifting assets between stocks and fixed income underperformed funds that simply held a relatively static mix. Morningstar further points out that if the performance of non-surviving tactical funds were included, the numbers would be even worse. Uh, its conclusion, the failure of tactical asset allocation funds suggests that investors should not only stay away from funds that follow tactical strategies, but they should also avoid making short-term shifts between asset classes in their own portfolios. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, looking at this table they have here, I mean, it looks like they underperformed by a percent and a half up to about almost two and three quarters percent over a 10-year period. So, um, you know, so that's the difference between just staying diversified and trying to time it. And that's what the data shows and we shouldn't be surprised by these results. I mean, successful timing requires two perfect decisions of when to buy, when to pare back your allocation to stocks and, and when to increase it again. Um, you got to do both those things perfectly. And watching a portfolio, you know, shrink during a down market um, can be unsettling, to say the least, you know. But, you know, if you're trying to avoid the pain by temporarily shifting away 
um, from your long-term strategy, you're going to end up, you know, trading one source of anguish for another. You know, that initial upsurge in prices from their lows often takes many investors by surprise. And, you know, they find it extraordinarily difficult to buy stocks that were available at sharply lower prices just a few weeks earlier. Um, people won't, your, your intuition and your gut will not let you buy those type stocks. Um, it's always going to fight you on these strategies. So the opportunity cost can be substantial. You know, over a 25-year period ending last year, um, that $100,000 portfolio invested in stocks that made up the Russell 3000 index would have grown to about a million dollars. Um, but during the quarter century, missing just the the, the best 90-day period um, would shave those gains by 33%. Just one 90-day period, if you missed it, you know, whenever it makes that big recovery from a down market, for instance, you know, that like we saw during the pandemic, you know, that first 90 days is huge and your intuition, your gut is going to, is going to make you miss that if you start following your emotions trying to time this thing. Yeah. And, and don't forget, there's increased uh, transaction costs and potential tax consequences on short-term trading strategies. Uh, so the odds of adding value through the market timing grows even slimmer through this. Um, as a, one financial advisor once said, uh, a portfolio is like a bar of soap. The more you handle it, the less you have. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, like you know, I wanted to bring that up just because we, we do get these questions during times like this. And, you know, Dave Ramsey talks about, hey, the only time you get hurt on a roller coaster is if you jump off of it when it's going. So we teach here, hey. Don't try to time markets. Um, have a good plan in place. Be well diversified. And so just trying to remind everyone that. Yeah, and the data really does support that, you know, as they point out here in this article. So very good, good topic. And um, that leads up here to our last thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Um, and so it's for those who are thinking about retiring. It's just to repeat something we mentioned earlier here in the show, and that is for those thinking about retiring, Practice a, a kind of faux retirement. Um, <clears throat> consider taking an extended vacation. Stay home during that period. Go through your retirement routine as you imagine it. You know, figure out what you're going to do every day during that two week. If you have enough vacation, heck, even a month period. Um, and practice retirement. You know, practice what you would do to, to, to get that routine down. Figure out, you know, what would retirement look like for you what would it feel like for you? Is it the right thing to do? Give it a practice run um, to really know if the timing's right for you. Um, you know, that'll be well worth your investment to, to find out if, if now's the right time to retire. So that's your prescription of the week. Great prescription. All right. Well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. You can uh, link to us there. You can send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.